Amen. Here's a question for you. Do you know that there is a God in heaven that loves you? Now, you just think about that for a minute, all right? Do you know that there is a God in heaven that loves you? Now, we've been talking about the awe of God and this idea of God loves you is fantastic, isn't it? Turn to your neighbor and say, God loves you. God loves you. You know, we've been in awe of this God over, the, over a long time now, but especially right now as we're looking at this sermon series of awe. And we've talked already some about the awe of God as we talk, talked about His create, uh, creating in the beginning how he, his, we talked about, we're in awe of his existence, his excellence, and his eminence, that he's all-powerful. We talked about how he is the God who created all of humanity. Uh, he's the one who forms us, who favors us, who fixes us, if you remember that. We also talked about the God of the burning bush, the one who knows where we are, who we are, and what's happening who shows his holiness, his grace, his compassion, his ability. We saw the God who goes with us, goes before us, goes with us, comes behind us. And then last week, I'm so grateful for Luke sharing how God works in people's lives, even through difficulty as he preached from uh, Psalms and the book of Job. We serve an awesome God. And this is the God in which we're talking about this morning. It is this God the one true living God that loves you. We're going to read one verse. It's a verse that you probably don't even need to open your Bible for. You probably know it by heart. But we're going to read John 3.16. And in honor and reverence to the Word of God, I'd love for you to stand as I read that verse for you this morning. That's where we're going to dwell, is in this one verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Father, what a blessing it is to know this verse. What a blessing it is to to hear this verse, to say this verse. Because indeed, Lord, it is the summary of the gospel in just a few words. And we pray, Lord, this morning that as we're gathered here again, we pray that you would stir our hearts toward you with greater awe and wonder. Because you are the one true living God and there is no other. You are the God of all creation who is holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. The one who was, who is, and who is to come. And yet you are the God who loves each and every one of us. So God, we pray that you would stir us up. Speak to our hearts. If there are those here today that don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that Lord, you would draw them to yourself by your mighty love this morning, by your Spirit's movement and hearts. And Lord, we also pray that the Spirit would have the freedom to move in all of our hearts today even those who do know you already, to to refresh us as we are reminded of your love for us. 
Lord, we pray the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart will be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You see the outline for today's message in the bulletin this morning. We're going to go through and fill in some blanks. But the first thing that we want to see here is we think about as we are in awe of this God, the one true living God, today we're looking at the love of God. We stand in awe at the love of God. We've talked about it already this morning. We have sung about it, and now we open the Word of God to it. And the first thing that we see here is that this love is love that is divine. It is a love that is divine, meaning that it is the nature of God. Love is the nature of God. The Bible tells us here, John three 16, we're going to just stick with that verse and pick up a few other verses here and there. But in that verse, it tells us, for God so loved. God loved. Now, as these words were written by John in that day, the false pagan gods of that day, those hedonistic gods, the gods of that culture, would not have been gods who loved, but rather they would have been gods of revenge, gods who were ruthless, gods who were callous. Love was unseen in those false paganistic gods. Forgiveness was uncertain in the gods of that culture. But what we find here is that John tells us about our God, the one true living God, and that his nature is one of holy, unconditional love. Love that is just, but also merciful and gracious. It is indeed, friends, a divine love. We see the nature of God being a God of love all throughout the Scriptures, from the beginning of Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation. Even in the book of Genesis, when we find Adam there, as God created Adam, we see that God walked with him in the garden being in a relationship with Adam, his creation, loving him, and Adam loving God. And then we see that first couple as Adam and Eve, as they sinned in the garden, disobeying, rebelling against God's word. We see a God that disciplines them with consequences. Indeed, these are consequences that we still feel even today. But even as God doled out the consequences to that first couple, we also see something of the love of God even as they sinned against him. You see, they had made fig leaves, coverings to cover their nakedness, but God saw that that was inadequate. And the Bible tells us that he gave tunics of skin for their coverings. Friends, what that shows is that this is the very first blood sacrifice that was made for man's sin. And what God was doing is he was pointing to the ultimate sacrifice that would be given in his son, Jesus, where their own coverings were inadequate, their own works were inadequate. God provided the way for them to be covered of their own nakedness. Friends, God has done that in us as well. We see the love of God as he pointed to the ultimate sacrifice that would be given in his son, Jesus. Friends, we have to stand back even from the very beginning of time and see the awesome love of God for us. Amen? The love of God, how amazing his love is for us. And all throughout the scripture, we see his love for his people, even though They consistently messed up. They lied. They disobeyed. And they rebelled. And indeed, there were consequences. But God was still loving toward them with compassion 
and with mercy. Aren't you thankful we have a God like that today? A God who is merciful toward us and compassionate, even though we mess up, we lie, we disobey, we rebel. And we see that in the Scripture even. The psalmist in Psalm 78, the psalmist sort of gives a a summary of the history of Israel. I'm going to pick up just a part of that passage of Scripture in verses 12 in Psalm 78 and go through verse 25 and then pick up again in verse 36 and just hear what the psalmist writes about God and his people. He says, Marvelous things he did in the sight of their fathers, in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through. And he made waters to stand up like a heap. Of course, talking about the Red Sea. In the daytime also, he led them with the cloud and all the night with the light of fire. He split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink in abundance like the depths. He also brought streams out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. Verse 17, but they sinned even more against him by rebelling against the Most High in the, water, in the wilderness. And they tested God in their heart by asking for the food of their fancy. Yes, they spoke against God. They said, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Behold, he struck the rock so that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide meat for his people? Therefore the Lord heard this. He was furious, so a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust in his salvation, and God annihilated them all. Is that what it says? No. We know that's not what happened. Verse 25, Yet he commanded the clouds above, and he opened the doors of heaven, and had rained down manna on them to eat, and given them of the bread of heaven, and men ate angels' food, And he sent them food to the full. If you skip down to verse 36, it tells us, Nevertheless, they flattered him with their mouth, and they lied to him with their tongue. For their heart was not steadfast with him, nor were they faithful in his covenant. In verse 38, it says, But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. Yes, many a time he turned his anger away and did not stir up all of his wrath, for he remembered that they were but flesh, a breath that passes away and does not come again. Friends, it is a God whose nature is love. Amen. God who is just and righteous, but is also merciful and compassionate and who loves us. Oh, there were definitely consequences, but he had compassion. He is the God of love. He continued to be the children of Israel's shepherd, providing and guiding and having compassion, calling them to himself because of his divine love for his people. Then you move to the New Testament and you see the beautiful picture of the love of God and that he sent his only son, Jesus, his only unique son, God's son. We see the nature of God here as well, the love of God. How he is, Jesus, is loving, he is healing, he is touching, he is calling, he is desiring for people to come to him, to follow him, as he was the shepherd for the sheep, the way of being reconciled to God. But Jesus, this Jesus who loved the people and loved whom God had sent him to, this Jesus was mocked and he was spit upon and he was crucified. But what did this Jesus do? He cried out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
This Jesus, God's Son, the very nature of God is love. Jesus was betrayed. He was turned against and he was denied. And yet he taught them. He spent time with these disciples. He ate with them. He prayed with them. And he washed their feet. Oh, friends, the love of God. And we must stand in awe of him. Amen? But not only then, but even today. Even today, we turn our backs on him. We rebel against him. We disobey him. We put other things first before him. And what does he do? He says, cast your cares upon me. He says, turn from sin and follow me. He tells us if we will confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all of our sin. Friends, his love is divine and we stand in awe of him. An old commentary that I was reading this past week had these words about the eternal love of God. It says, God has not waited for us to love him. Before all time, before we were endowed with life, he thought of us and thought of doing us good. What he meditated in eternity, he has performed in time. His generous hand has bestowed every variety of blessings upon us. Neither our unfaithfulness nor ingratitude has dried up the fountain of his goodness to us or arrested the stream of his bounty. O you eternal love that has loved me when I could neither know nor acknowledge you, I immeasurable love that has made me what I am, that has given me all I possess, and that has yet promised me infinitely more. O love without interruption, without change, that all the bitter waters of my iniquities could not extinguish. Have I any heart, O my God, if I am not penetrated with gratitude and a love for you? O friends, we stand in awe of a love of God that is truly divine. It is his nature to be a God of love. Amen. God's love is a love that is divine. Secondly, it is a love that is defined. We see that in this chapter 3, verse 16 of John as well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It says that God so loved the world. That means that God loved in such a manner as this, that he gave his only begotten son, his only unique son. That is, you see, friends, that is the definition of God's love for us. That is the demonstration of God's love for us and that he sent his only unique begotten son for us. You see, friends, listen, whenever I want to find a word, I always go to Webster's Dictionary. Sometimes I'll Google it too, whichever is easiest at the time. But if we were to, if God had his own dictionary, and if we could thumb through God's dictionary and look for the definition of love, I believe this is what we'd see. As we look at love in God's dictionary, it would be God sent Jesus for you. Jesus died for you. And there'd be a little graphic there, which would be the cross. Amen? That is the love of God defined. The love of God is a love that is defined, defined as a sacrificial love, willing to sacrifice dearly 
for humankind. One commentator said that sacrificial love expresses itself without the assurance that the love will be returned in kind. It is a love that seeks to meet the needs of those who cannot meet their need themselves. That is a sacrificial love that God has for us. We've heard it said before that this sacrificial love looks like in that Jesus paid a debt that he did not owe because we owed a debt that we could not pay. Friends, listen, we cannot be good enough. We cannot be holy enough. We cannot do enough good deeds or do good works to be right with God. For we're all sinners, and we we all sin, and there is a price that needs to be paid for our sin, and it is death. God sent His Son, His only begotten Son, His only unique Son, to pay our sin debt for us to give us life. You see, it was no ordinary payment. It was the highest price that He could pay. This salvation of ours was very costly to Him. And that he sent his son. What love. Love defined as a sacrificial love. It's also a selfless love of God. John 15, 13 tells us that greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You see, this is a love that is beyond what we can even begin to fathom. It's a love that we cannot comprehend. It's a love that we cannot understand. Someone said it this way, that he gave his only begotten son. To give one son out of many would be a manifestation of great love. But he gave his only son, his only unique son, his equal, who was with him in essence and mind and heart, the son of his love, who was ever with him and ever his delight. Such a gift he never gave before and can never give again. This gift is royal and matchless. This sacrifice is divine and it is unique. And it's an index of love that is too high and too broad and too deep and too divine for mere mortals to comprehend. Friends, that's this selfless, sacrificial love. In 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10, here is the summary of selfless, sacrificial love again. 1 John 4, 9 and 10, it says, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation or the payment for our sins. We've not done anything for God to say, oh, well, now I see that they really are going to love me, and so here I will send my Son. No, before that, friends, we had done nothing to deserve God's love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the payment for our sins We stand in awe of the love of God. It's a love that is divine. It's a love that is defined. When you look at what the definition is, you see the cross. But also, it is a love that is deep and wide. Deep and wide. I think I remember an old song about deep and wide, don't you, brother? Deep and wide. There's a fountain flowing deep and wide. Listen. Where do we see the deep and wide here? It tells us in this verse, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever 
believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. There are two words there that we see the deep and the wide. It's the world and the whoever. Let's look at the deep part first, and it is the whoever. The whoever, that word whoever believes in him, the word whoever is in the singular tense. That means you and me. It means you individually. It means you that he had you on his mind as an individual, that he knew us, each and every one of us, before we were born, and that he loves you individually, singularly, as a person. God loves you. You say, me? Certainly not someone like me, for I'm a nobody, or I'm a filthy person, or I'm certainly not worthy of the love of God. Well, I think about a man by the name of Paul, a man who was a persecutor of Christians who stood at, uh, at the edge of people's death. He knew the sinfulness of man according to the law. He knew what wicked people we all are, that there's none righteous, no, not one. And he wrote in Romans chapter 7, verse 24 and 25, he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, friends, no matter where you come from, no matter your background, no matter what your sin, no matter what you've done, you need to know that God loves you. Oh, the love of God that would love someone like me. You see, friends, listen, he knows you. He knows where you have been in the past, and he knows where you will be in the future, and yet he loves you eternally. He knows your he knows, listen, he knows you greater than you know yourself. He knows your heart. He knows your hidden attitude. He knows your secret thoughts, and he disciplines you as you stray, but he loves you the same. Friends, listen, there is nothing that you can do to make him love you less. And there's nothing that you can do to make him love you more. For his love for you never changes. It is impartial. It is unconditional. It is perfect, and it is forever and ever and ever. This God loves you deeply, intimately, sincerely, and, old friends, he loves you completely. The love of God is deep and wide. And what's the wide part? The wide is seen in the word world. He loves the world. You see, our God loves us individually, loves you deeply, sincerely as an individual, but he also loves the world. He desires the people all over the world to be saved. Whether they are rich or poor, every color and creed, every tribe, every tongue, every political persuasion. Amen? With me? Come on. Y'all with me? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God loves the world. Friends, just because we're here sitting in this magnificent church does not mean that we have a monopoly on the love of God. Amen? 
There are people all around us, all over our country, all over our community, all over the places in which we live, and all over the world that God loves as he loves the world and who need to know about Jesus. You know, I think about one of the final scenes in Scripture. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and 10, it says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one can number. These are folks who are standing before the throne. It says, Of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. People from every tribe, every nation, every people, every tongue, God desires for people all over the world to come to know him as Savior, to know of his love. Well, I'm not so sure. As I look out across the world today, preacher, and I look at the news that we have, I'm not so sure that he could still love the people of this world. Well, friends, I got some news for you. He does. Amen? He loves the world. And as a matter of fact, he's still calling people out to reach the world. He's still calling people out to reach the world. This past weekend, you know, I wasn't here. I was at a conference in California, a SEND North America conference, a SEND conference, put on between the North American Mission Board and the International Mission Board together. It's a gathering of folks three times this year. The first one's in Southern California. There'll be one in Dallas and one in Orlando in July. Open to anybody who wants to go. But the conference is geared toward those that would go and hear about being on mission, where God would have people to be on mission. And friends, I just tell you that it did my heart really good to be in Southern California in a place where they're expecting about 2,000 people because it's hard to get a, a handful of Christians together in Southern California for some reason. But they're expecting maybe 2,000. They were hoping to get 2,000, and they ended up with 3,800. As we looked out across this sea of people, of 3,800 people who are here to hear about being on mission for God and for the Lord Jesus Christ, I would have to say that as I looked out across these people, the average age had to be somewhere around 28, 29, or 30. You know, my heart welled up. I told Angie, I said, this is what gives me hope, is to know that God is still calling young people to the mission field. Amen? That mission field is not only across the water, but it's right here across our neighborhoods as well. God is still calling people to the mission field. Maybe he's calling you today to that full-time mission field. But even if he hasn't called you to the full-time mission field, I got news for you. you go, you're on the mission field. Amen? You're on the mission field. You're supposed to be out there on mission for Jesus right where you are, pointing people to Jesus, meeting people where they are. You see, friends, he's still calling people out to reach the world. He loves the world, and he loves you, even you and even me. Knowing all about us even more than we know of ourselves, our actions, our thoughts, our secrets, and we know that God loves us intimately and deeply. Maybe you came in here this morning with this thought on your mind. I feel so unloved. Nobody ever loved me. Friends, I've got some good news for you today. I can tell you for sure, God loves you. God loves you. 
Oh, the love of God that is divine, that is defined, and that is deep and wide. And then fourthly, that delivers. It's a love that delivers. What's the delivery we see here? It says here that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What is Jesus, what is the Lord God Almighty, what does he deliver from? He delivers from perishing. It is a love that delivers us from perishing. It is a love that delivers us from a place called hell. Hell? Is there really a place called hell? Pastor, this is the 21st century. Are you going to talk about hell? Friends, the Lord Jesus believed in a place called hell. God believed in a place called hell, and I believe they do. I believe I should too. How about that? There is a real place called hell. As a matter of fact, hell is such a real place. If it were not so, why would Jesus have died for us? It is a real place. He died to deliver us from that place. Perishing, listen, tells us that we, we should not perish but have everlasting life. Perishing, understand, perishing is not annihilation. That if you don't know Jesus, when you die, you just disappear. No. Perishing is an eternal death. It's eternity in hell. A place of unquenchable fire, the Bible says. A place of thirst. A place of misery and pain. A place of frustration and anger. A place of separation and darkness. A place of the wrath of God. And friends, you need to understand something this morning. That without Jesus Christ, that is where you abide now. Under the wrath of God. But understand this, that God's love is a love that delivers you from perishing. He delivers you, he delivers me, he delivers us, and desires for us to be delivered and saved from his wrath, from destruction, from eternal hell, from perishing. And he delivers us from that, but to eternal life now and forever. You see, friends, this love is more than fire insurance. Amen? It's more than fire insurance. But rather, God sent his son to deliver us from perishing and to everlasting or eternal life. And when you come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, when you say yes to him as the Lord of your life, friends, understand this, that you are immediately saved from that perishing. Hell is no longer your home. Now heaven is. That is definitely where we'll spend eternity when we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But you need to understand that eternal life does not begin at the moment when you close your eyes in death. Eternal life begins the moment you say yes to Jesus. That's when eternal life begins. It is real life. It is being reconciled to God. Life is God intended in the garden with Adam and Eve. It's enjoying fellowship with our creator. It's being right with holy God. And it is walking with our God and spending time with him. That is eternal life that lasts now when we receive Christ as Lord and Savior and goes with us throughout all of eternity. That when we do close our eyes to death, there's nothing that changes except now we see him face to face in all of his glory. Oh, the love of God that has made us the way for us to be right with God. John 3, the, again, verse 16, but then the two verses below that says, for God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. That he who believes in him, Jesus, is not condemned, but he who believes not believe, he who did not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You see, friends, it is the love of God that delivers. 
It's a love of God that is divine, love that's defined, a love that's deep and wide, a love that delivers, and then fifthly is a love that demands. What are you talking about, Pastor? A love that demands? Love doesn't demand anything. Well, that depends on what you're talking about. And what I'm talking about, it does demand something. Because, you see, love demands a response. Love demands a response. Well, what are you talking about, Pastor? All right, well, let me help you with this. If someone comes up to you, and this person you know, and they come to you and they say, I love you. I love you, and I want to be with you, and I want you to be with me. I love you, and I have paid a great price for you. If it's a, a man, maybe you've bought a great big old diamond for your, for your beloved. Or if it's a woman, maybe you bought a great big old truck for your beloved, whatever. But you've paid a great price. And they say, I've paid a great price for you. As a matter of fact, I have sacrificed for you. I have emptied my account. I have left my home for you. Now, if somebody says that to you, friends, it demands a response. Now, you're going to do one of a couple of things. You're going to look at that person and say, well, thank you, but I just don't love you that way. That would be a rejection of that person's love. The other thing that you would do is you would say, I know that you love me. I know that you've done all this for me. I know you've sacrificed for me, and I love you too. And you respond in love back. Then there is another third response that some people think is okay to give as well. Some people would say, well, if somebody says that to me, what if I just don't respond? What if I just don't respond? Just maybe it'll go away. All right, let me ask you a question. If this person comes up to you and says, I love you, I want to be with you and you with me, and that person says, I paid a great price for you, I've sacrificed greatly for you, I've emptied my account, I've left my home all for you, and then you say, okay, you're not going to respond, then what you're saying is, eh, whatever. That's a response, isn't it? It's a response of rejection. Isn't it? It's a response of rejection. You see, friends, listen. This is exactly what God has done for us through Jesus. He has said, I love you. I want to be with you and you with me. I've paid a great price for you, the blood of my son, sacrifice of my son, Jesus. And I've sacrificed for you. I've left my home. I've emptied myself to be your Savior because I love you. Friends, we can respond in one of two ways. Either we will reject him and say no, or we will say, yes, Lord, I love you as well. Because you cannot say, eh, whatever, because that too is a rejection. Amen? It's a rejection. What is the response then that we're called for in this passage of Scripture, that love demands a response? It's seen where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him. Believing in him, that is the response. It is believing and trusting on the basis of its truthfulness and reliability. It is putting your faith in him. It is to rely on him. It is believing in him. What do you believe? 
was looking at uh, something this morning in my office, and I came across this. So that's perfect for today. Jonathan Whitfield was preaching one time to coal miners in England. And he asked one man, he says, what do you believe? And the man says, well, I believe the same as the church. And he says, and what does the church believe? He says, well, they believe the same as me. (laughs) Seeing they were getting nowhere, Jonathan Whitfield said, and what is it that you both believe? He says, well, I suppose the same thing. Friends, do you know what you believe? Or better yet, do you know who you believe in? His name is Jesus. Believing in Him, that's the response that love demands. The love of God demands a response of believing in Jesus. So what's your response? Do you believe in Him? So we come to the to-dos part of the message. And the first to-do is this. As we've heard about the love of God, the awesome love of God that He has for us, the first to do is this, is that we must respond and receive His love. Respond and receive His love. You know, based upon the Word of God, as we've read even just this one verse today, we know that we have a God in heaven who loves us, who sent His Son Jesus to die for us, to save us from perishing. We must believe. So say yes to Jesus. If you've never done that, say yes to the love of God because he says to you, I love you and I want to be with you and you with me. And I've paid a great price for you and I've sacrificed for you and I've given my life for you. So respond in faith and receive him as the Lord of your life. It's a step of faith for all are sin and fall short of the glory of God. And we need to recognize that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. Listen, you're here today and you say, well, I don't know if this applies to me. Listen, friend, every one of us here are sinners. Every one of us have been not right with God. But we're calling out for people who don't know Jesus to know that, yes, we're all sinners, but there is salvation in Jesus Christ. That he loves us and he came to die for us. That he paid the penalty of our sin. So turn from that sin and turn to Jesus Christ. Believing, embracing with all of your heart that Jesus is God's Son who died on the cross for you, who rose again bodily from the grave, and profess Him as the Lord and Savior of your life. It's a step of faith. Take that step of faith and respond to Jesus and receive His love today, receiving Him as Lord and Savior of your life. But then secondly, a second to do is this, is for you, believer, and that is this, return His love. This is a God who loves you Return his love. In 1 John 4, 19, we read that we love him because he first loved us. Return his love. You know, we said at the very beginning to each other, God loves you. Sometimes we need to be reminded that God loves me. So how about this? Let's all together say God loves me. Ready? God loves me. God loves me. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that today? Now, you need to understand something. God does love you. God does love me. We don't need to jump through some hoops. You don't have to pay some kind of money. You don't have to perform some kind of task. You need to understand this, that he loves you now. He loves you now. So since he loves you, you love him. And if you truly, listen now, if you truly love him, then it will dictate who you are and how you act and what you will say. We know he loves us. 
And if we truly love him, it dictates all of who we are as a, as a people. Amen? We truly love him. One last thing, and I'm done. At this conference, I heard a man by the name of Francis Chan. Some of you have heard, maybe heard of him. He wrote the book called Crazy Love. And he works out. He serves a church out in San Francisco. They have a lot of addicts there in San Francisco. And he works with their addictions all the time. And he came to us, and he spoke to us in our conference, and he said, Friends, I have this to say. I believe that Jesus Christ is to be our addiction. Jesus Christ should be our addiction. He said, let me tell you why I say that. It's because I've been around addicts for a long time. And what I've seen in addicts is they will move heaven and earth to have that which they crave. They'll do whatever it takes to get that which they are longing for. For nothing is more important to an addict than his addiction. And so he said, and I agree, let us be addicted to Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's be addicted to his presence. Let us desire to be with him and be around him and be, uh, be and honor him and to love him, spend time with him in his word, to be with him in his prayer, and to share, share, people, uh, to share him to the people around us. Let Jesus be your addiction because he loves you. Return his love back to him. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would have your way in our hearts and lives. Lord, we want to have a holy addiction for Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us to stand in awe of your love for us today. But Lord, I pray that you would turn that around on us as we would seek to return that love for you so that it truly manifest itself in everything that we say, in every action, every reaction. Lord, that we'd be the people of God who are so in love with Jesus that it overflows from our hearts and our lives and our day-by-day activities in our homes, in our church life, in our family life, in our work life, in our pleasurable life, in doing things out on the soccer fields or wherever we may be. God, I pray that you would stir us up that indeed that you would breathe new life into us to be the people of God, to have a holy love for you as we stand in awe of your holy love for us. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.